0: Welcome to Loose Leaf TNU, a podcast designed to invite people into a conversation that cultivates community response. I'm Kennedy Kreider, and I'm Ali Tooley, and we would like to invite you to put the kettle on, make yourself a cup of tea, and participate alongside us in difficult topics, playful banter, and hopeful conversation. Today's episode hosts Rebecca alum Bree Wallace and Madison Vanderberg. These ladies were and are instrumental in my growth in faith and as a person. I wanted to also take a moment to say that Allie was all set to record with us today, but due to some non-COVID-related health reasons, was not able to, but she should be back next week. Also, this is our first episode recorded over Zoom, but I think that the quality of this conversation will make up for maybe the lack of quality that might be in the recording. Today we're talking about deconstruction of faith, particularly related to the college experience. So A, if you haven't watched the chapel video this week, you probably should go listen to that first and I'll put that in the show notes. But B, if you don't know what deconstruction is, that is also an important component for this conversation as well. I've always thought about deconstruction in terms of a spider web. If you learn something new, that means one of your strings in the web is wrong. Uh, that means you're going to have to rebuild your whole web. So deconstruction and reconstruction of faith really have to do with confronting the hard questions that come with a change in paradigm and a change in perspective. So let's get into it. I hope you stick around because this is a great conversation. So today we have with us Bree Wallace and Madison Vanderberg. And as you know, listeners, here on the podcast, we try to talk about things we see people talking about on campus. Ultimately, the goal of the podcast is to cultivate conversations around difficult topics with the hope of generating some tangible response. So, Bree and Madison, will you go ahead and tell the listeners who you are, what you've been up to uh, after graduating, the roles you had on campus back in the day, and then maybe how y'all two met, and then
1: how y'all met me. Yeah, I'm Bree Wallace. So I'm a Trevecca graduate. I graduated this past May in 2020. I graduated out of the social work program, and while on campus, I did a lot of just various things. I was in various programs, but probably the main thing that I did was that I was a resident Um, advisor in one of the dorms on campus and that's actually kind of what started my like student leadership. But yeah, now I'm working as a case manager in Colorado at a local organization called Health Solutions and yeah, I just help manage a million people and make sure that they get what they need from the state's Medicaid
2: program. And I'm Madison Vanderberg. I also graduated in May of 2020 from the social work department, I had a minor in counseling. I was an RA both my sophomore year, and my junior year, and then I was a peer mentor my follow my senior year. I guess I met Bree. I, we casually met and we knew of each other freshman year, and then we became RA partners our sophomore year. So Tennessee Hall was where it was at. I met Kennedy. I'm pretty sure basketball. We had a bunch of mutual friends, but. We tore it up in intramurals. Right now, I am a care coordinator, as they call it, for Camelot here in Columbia. Um, it's a therapeutic agency for foster kiddos all over the state of Tennessee. We just provide in-home services, and I coordinate everything that they receive from us. Um, basically, a case manager. So, yeah, that's about. I think I answered all the questions. <laughs>
0: Okay, so normally we're in person doing these interviews and we can provide tea for our guests, but we're in different states, not even in the same time zones. So what tea are you drinking? You could just say what beverage you're drinking. And that also is like physically, what are you drinking? But then also metaphorically, what's warming you up these days? What's
1: sustaining you? Hey, um, I am currently drinking coffee. It's a nice little pour over from a local coffee shop, so that's what I'm drinking physically. And as far as, I guess, what's warming me up um, and what's sustaining me, I'm reading a ton of books right now, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, so, because I typically have quite a commute for work anyway, so, yeah, listening to tons of podcasts,
2: like spanning various subjects, and then also reading a few different books um, I've already had my coffee for the day. So due to my anxiety, I will not be drinking anymore, <laughs> but I'm drinking water. I drink that nonstop all day long, as should everyone. So that's filling me up, fills me up every day. Right now, I'm currently reading The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, Stop burnout. Um, and that's really filling me up. I try to read at least a chapter each night. But just like Bree, I spend a lot of time in the car. So our girl, Brene Brown's podcast, as many others. It's kind of how I try to stay up to date and build up with new information.
0: Nice. I'm drinking a peach chamomile tea in my Preach It sister mug. So one thing I personally have seen a lot of people go through on Trebecca, but then also just in college in general was articulated I think very well in the chapel message this week and I know y'all are graduated and y'all don't go to chapel anymore but one of your professors in your major was one of the speakers and I texted you during chapel saying how awesome it was and y'all watched the video later and that's kind of how we came to be here right now talking about what we're talking about and I think that the chapel message this week was Really transparent in a way that I haven't seen in a chapel message in a while. So, just diving into that, can you describe the tension you felt coming to Trevecca? Wherever you want to go with that.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess I'll start. To be quite honest with you, I had no knowledge of what the Nazarenes were. Still a little confused about what they are, and just genuinely. I guess I was a bit nervous for maybe what my spiritual background looked like and how it would commune with others, just because I really just had no understanding. I had no um, previous knowledge about what the Nazarene Church looks like or anything like that. And I, I mean, I started going to church pretty consistently later in like junior high, closer to high school. And it's a very like charismatic church, very um, evangelical, just very like spirit filled. And so, yeah, I think that just I knew that I was stepping into like a Christian environment and I felt confident about it and happy about it because I ultimately wanted that to be a part of my college experience. But in terms of the specific theologies that might like exist within the realm of Nazarendom, I had no idea. And so I think that for me, there was a bit of maybe a learning curve for how to like, freely show up. Yeah, there was like that element of how to, to engage spiritually and like still respect where I was and like the environment that I was in. And honestly, like that's something that I never figured out in all four years I was still confused as to like really what it all meant and and how to fully show up and I know that we'll get into this but our language for it is is my personal spiritual deconstruction. So
2: yeah, I think I can piggyback on a lot of what um Bree was talking about because I came back or I came from a very similar background where I felt like I was the only Christian at home. Of course, everybody in my family was like, "Ah, yeah, we believe in God. But I was very, very a Wednesday goer, Sunday night show up throughout high school. And so I felt very, very firm. And I chose Trebekah because I wanted to be close to home, but still engage in this like faith-based academia setting. And I had friends that went to Trebekah. So I never really even made a big like I guess I for myself I didn't personally make such a big deal about the Nazarene denomination being affiliated but I guess there was at some point <laughs> that fall of freshman year whether it was in chapel or in the faith or at some point where I was like man I, this is completely different from what you know there's those same like foundations and there's the same like oh, it is kind of okay to raise your hand in chapel and, you know, things like that. I didn't feel so displaced as maybe some others do, but it was, like Bree said, it was a learning curve. It was, it just was so, it was a different world that you felt like you had to step into. And then when exploring, like, churches, so you would have chapel throughout the week, of course, but when exploring, like, what church I wanted to attend in Nashville on Sundays, mm-hmm. the the options were limitless, <laughs> but it felt so overwhelming, and it felt like, oh, well, everyone goes to, you know, the Nazarene Church, or everyone goes to TCC, or everybody goes to the belonging, you know, and those are kind of your options, but I still felt very like, man, I came in so strong, and I think, you know, I have this impression of, like, well, everyone around me should be a Christian, so why isn't, why is there a hiccup? Why is there a mix-up? And I think, like Bree said, when we would, or when we go into it later on about more of the, like, reconstruction and Kind of naming that later on in kind of the second half, at least of my college experience, I think there came a lot of verbiage for what I was experiencing freshman year that I just didn't know.
0: Do you, Did that verbiage, so I'm in the religion department, so we get a lot of, they kind of walk us through this process of deconstruction and renovation, but I don't really have any file folder for what non-religion majors go through in this area, though I know they also experience this deconstruction. So did this verbiage come in classes or just in conversations you were partaking in outside of class?
2: For me, I felt like it was kind of 50-50. I feel like in class, you know, especially in the faith, I was learning things that I hadn't learned in my very spirit-driven, Holy Spirit, that's what we're concerned about. Like, I the foundation I was lacking showed up in that way. And I loved that. I loved, you know, practically learning how, you know, orally the Bible was said and then it was written and kind of like the history behind, you know, this faith that I was claiming. I loved that. But I guess diving into the other classes where it was more more centered around the Nazarene denomination, it was like, okay, I'm getting half of this and then we're leaving class and then there's not a follow-up. And the people that already know kind of what this is all about, they're just comfortable where they're at because they've been dreaming to come to the school their entire lives. You know, like, I just still felt, I felt like I was getting some information, but then I was like turning to people like Bree and turning to people that maybe came from a different denomination that was more, I don't know, charismatic even, we could just say that to put it simply, and saying, like, hey, am I the only one asking these questions? Like, am I the only one feeling uncomfortable? Am I the only one not putting the pieces together? Because, I mean, I was looking at it as, like, oh, I'm growing my spirituality, but I'm also getting grades. Like, (laughs) I'm also having to show up and perform well and do my homework and read this many chapters of our textbook, you know, even though that feels impossible as a freshman. So it, it, I don't know, it felt like a little bit of both. And I think that's where the dilemma came where it was like, this is my academic work, but this is also follower of Jesus. And it's, there just wasn't that disconnect never kind of left.
1: And I kind of want to add to that because, and I feel like Madison, like our upbringing with church is probably so similar that maybe you will relate to this. But for me, there was also this element of, and, you know, regardless of what anyone believes about this or, um, you know, what is correct, I don't know. I was in the religion department for all of five minutes because I was in every department. So my, like, real knowledge on all of this is pretty limited. But with my just church background in general and like my experience there wasn't really like a heavy emphasis on doctrine or like specific ideology that we worked from you know um i think that there's some some things that with um with my church background like things that were pillars of maybe what we worked from things that were like deeply rooted but not not in the way not presented in the way that I saw just within classes. I feel like the Nazarene church really, really emphasizes its doctrine and it doesn't pull away from it very loosely. And I think that that's amazing because now that I'm kind of like getting into a different like realm of spirituality, like doctrinal beliefs and liturgy feel really important to me right now, and that is something that within the Nazarene Church is really, really important, and I I don't think that I fully appreciated that when I was at Trevecca because I think that I just was, for four years, truly, maybe not completely for four years, but for most of it, I was sitting in so much confusion about how how do all of these working parts fit together when none of these have ever really been anything that not only have I cared about, but They've never actually really been presented to me in a way that they had been at Trebecca. And so I would agree, like with Madison, I think that there was something really like sweet about some of the courses and things that I had learned that, I mean, I didn't grow up in children's church. I went to vacation, vacation Bible school maybe every other summer, um, just if I wasn't playing softball. So like if I were free, then maybe I would go. And so these like foundational Bible stories and, these things that you learn about god and these things that you learn about the life of jesus when you're like a small child that just really isn't in my background and so i feel like some of it i picked up when i was at trebecca and yeah i think that there was just there was just a learning curve and i think that the part the the part of it that it was not a choice it was required by like trebecca i had to like learn how to i guess respect the fact that these like religion-based classes were a requirement and not like an option for me because part of me and like part of my like charismatic evangelical background there's like almost some rebellion to that and maybe that's just my personality maybe it's not my background because you not know I'm a little bit rebellious so maybe it's not really about that but I do think that there was just part of me that I, I was like this doesn't really help me want to know Jesus like I think that now I'm looking back on it and I'm appreciative because I feel like there are just things that I didn't like get growing up in church or whenever we went or whatever. But I do think that there was an aspect where I was like, I knew that I would have to do that because I was going to a Christian school, but I also was like, Oh like this just isn't it for me. This doesn't help me know Jesus anymore. Like this is actually, if anything, it's confusing me more. And as far as like the verbiage and everything, I didn't get into the social work program until the second semester of my sophomore year. And to be quite honest with you, both professors that I, well, I had um, Bullinger, thank you, God, but um, Professor Bazard and Nunley, they both encouraged deconstruction. And there were a million occasions where I sat in after class um, just to ask them what, Like, what do I do now with what I know about justice and about the heart of Jesus and its relationship to justice or its relationship to whatever, things that I'd never known about considered? What do I do now with this, like, entire spiritual background and also all of this new knowledge? And they, like, encouraged questions and confusion and leaning in. They, like, they encouraged us to stop shying away from it. And I think that that Freedom felt so like liberating because prior to that, I had not felt like free to ask the question. So I don't know. I think that Trebecca, it's just different. Whenever you're not like like you're not raised in the church from a teeny tiny tot, like especially in the South, like where we're all from, there's just a difference with how you show up in an environment like this.
0: Yeah. So do you think the spirituality that they give us at Trevecca and like chapel and the things they encourage us to do kind of lined up with the classes you were taking or kind of were in conflict.
1: You know, it really depends on who's speaking at chapel. Because and I'm not trying to play politics. I'm really like trying to stay as objective as possible. But whenever in my social work classes, and even in like Mission of the People of God, which you took, we took these classes that emphasized like not liberation theology necessarily, but we took classes that emphasized the justice of Jesus and Jesus's influence on culture and with racism, like all of these things that we saw and took classes about. And then we had someone like governor bill lee speak at chapel and that felt so conflicting just inside of me because people that i'm being trained to like protect like the marginalized the oppressed people that i'm sitting in classes in who are being criminalized by this governor and then they have to show up to chapel and sit and listen to his spiritual life and there are just things you know we can get into whatever we want to get into but there are just things to me that don't really add up in a lot of ways. And I think that what one of my biggest concerns with was Trebekah Chapel. And I don't know, I guess I guess in ways I would say, yeah, yeah, we had chapels. Because just like listening to Professor B, like they obviously have speakers who really lean into things that I feel are safe as far as like, not safe in terms of theology or Jesus, but I'm talking about safe for our neighbors who Jesus taught us to protect. But then whenever we have other people come and get to hold the mic who maybe shouldn't be holding the mic, I wonder like, what does Trevecca get out of this? Like, it can't be just that maybe somebody's friends with him, Dan Boone's friends with him or whatever. Like it is likely that Trevecca might be getting something out of this um, because it's a system, it's an institution. So I think that, I don't know, I think that it really just depends um, because there were so many chapels, like services that I was like, wow, like propaganda came and just like thing. I don't know. I feel like Shane Claiborne, like Trevecca does a really, really good job of getting in like speakers and pastors and just really well-known people who, Diane Nash, like amazing people who like, it's an honor and a privilege to sit and just listen to and be taught under. Um, But I think that maybe in Trevecca's far reaching way of trying to be equitable, they also bring in people who are just unsafe to so many communities that not only attend Trevecca, but live on the other side of Murfreesboro Pike. So um, I don't know. I think that maybe professors have a lot of good intentions, but I think that chapel is more political than anything else that Trebekah has, so.
2: I will add that during our four years, mine and Bree's four years at Trebekah, we went through two travel changes where we came in with Shauna, and then it went to Eric, but by that point, we were already seniors, and it just wasn't consistent is my main word um, because where I felt like I was getting like Brie talked about propaganda and, you know, going to chapel and leaving and feeling encouraged and challenged, but then also dragging my feet because I was an RA and I stayed up till 2 AM the night before. And that consistently happened every Monday night, you know, it just wasn't to be spiritually fed. Well, it was like, okay, either go to chapel or I'm going to get a fine at the end of the semester. And, It just wasn't a very holistic, I don't know, it just looked different week to week. And I think maybe that is like our spiritual journey. It looks different. And I feel that even more so now as a college grad trying to manage everything, it does truly look different each week. But it was like, like Bree said, there's still an institution part of it where like, this is a requirement because you're attending here and you'll receive a fine if you don't come or we are trying to make things equitable. So you may not like this speaker, but maybe come next weekend, it'll be a better message. I don't know. It just, it just always felt like it was all over the place where that could have been something very consistent.
0: I want to read a quote from Professor Bizard's chapel message this week that I feel like kind of goes along with what y'all are talking about. She said, this idea that God was concerned with the practical and with loving people practically was really new for me. Yeah, chef's kiss what a quote but I feel like that was kind of what I began to be exposed to at Trevecca that was different from the way I had known Faith to be in classes and in certain chapels but then I saw a disconnect with how Trevecca was really operating you know right they claimed to be a Christian campus in the heart of Nashville but right across the street from us and just in so many areas around our neighborhood, we have neighbors that we're not reaching out to and that we're not being practically loving towards. And so I feel like that was such a good quote that she said that kind of described the deconstruction process for a lot of people. So just like in your opinion, being in the social work realm, how do you think people, do this practical work, maybe without having a social work degree or without having a religion degree?
1: I mean, (laughs) to me, and it seems so simple now, but I would echo what you said. Like, I didn't really know the practical pieces of Jesus prior to Trevecca and mostly prior to some of the work that I did while I was at Trevecca. Like, everything was really hyper-spiritual for me. And so practicality wasn't super important, but now it is. Now that's like the only Jesus that I want to know is the one who like sits with us and communes with us. So, but practically speaking, I don't know. I think that like really taking advantage of like maybe organizations that Trebecca partners with, um, whether it's kid, kid power or, so, I mean, Treveca, I don't know. I feel like Trevecca, there, there are some, it's a system. There are some things that need to be fixed, but in terms of relationships, Treveca is very easy to navigate local organizations that you can work with. Um, and Treveca is a great open door for that. And so people loving Nashville. I mean, if you're in Nashville, like there are, like Gideon's army, like there are so many organizations You don't have to ever, ever, ever tell anyone that you're a Christian, that you don't ever have to quote John 3, 16. Like, you don't have to mention the name Jesus. Jesus didn't, like, that wasn't his thing. He just served people and existed with people. And that was the difference. Um, And so I think that practically speaking, like, meet people who don't look like you, but enter with so much humility, that you're never the teacher, you're never the expert, you're never the one who has the answers, but you just enter with, like, wide open hands, and a willingness to just be with people, not even to do anything, but just to be with them, just the difference that that makes, and so, yeah, I think, you know, if you're not in the religion department, if you're not in the social work department, where you're literally being taught these things, right, I think just taking 10 minutes to like, look, who does Rebecca have a relationship with? What organizations? Or who in Nashville could use a volunteer? Like, is there a day in my week that's free that I could dedicate to people loving Nashville? Monday nights, you can work with them for a few hours. And I just think that these things, I mean, I think that there is probably some some better ways to like enter these spaces for sure. And I think that as these, these places exist. We'll like learn how to make them better and more sustainable and everything. But, um, I think ultimately it's so important to just get started and to like lean in and yeah, I, it's not, it's not that hard. And I think that that's the thing is sometimes it, it feels difficult to make Jesus practical, to make Jesus one of us, but Jesus has just always been that way. And so, um, yeah, just showing up in the spaces that are available and that need, like, don't go anywhere where you're not being invited. So like places that are actively asking for volunteers, or maybe you have friends who go do this on Monday night, join them, like hop in the car and just go and be, be free hands and don't ever share a motive or a story, just like be there. Um, so yeah, I think practically it's just about getting involved, dropping your narrative, dropping your biases at the door, like whatever paradigm you come from, whatever background you come from, leave it all at the door and just like sit with people, get to know people and don't have any motives of converting them. Cause that's ultimately, that's not what we're here for. Like, I mean, maybe some would argue with me about that, but ultimately people just want to be loved well and they want
2: somebody who wants to invest in them. I think to pay you back on the back of what Brie said, once again, I think dropping all those things plus, and I think what Professor Bazard also said, cause I love that quote, but also where she was talking about things not being linear. Um, I had this real big expectation and honestly like demand for things to be linear, for someone to hand me a piece of paper and say, go do this. And I had that in some ways, I had internships, I had, um, you know, choices and opportunities presented to me but I just still didn't feel like enough at the end of the day but post you know undergrad I've really understood the part of it's just not linear and it's not it is the day by day and I think Brie really echoed the you know outreach and ways to get involved but I would almost challenge like And to add on like the day by day, like when you're in the library and bearing witness to the someone that is in there and is struggling and is reconstructing everything and not beating over, you know, these ideas of this is absolute. This is, you know, because and not to go too far into it, but I was losing my grandfather the fall of my senior year and it was almost like people just didn't know what to say and not that people avoided me but I did so feel, I felt so isolated on a campus, so small, where I had been a student leader, where I had been so actively involved, and because I had to take a step back, I just felt like I was, you know, I had my people, I had, you know, people in um, student development, like, rooting me on, and that pushed me, obviously, to continue my education, but it just it broke down so many walls that I felt like I had spent the last three years building up and the people around me had been building up instead of just letting that guard down and understanding that I can be a witness to some or I can be a witness to someone's circumstances and someone can be a witness to my circumstances and that can be enough for that Monday night that can be enough and then the next Monday night I can tag along with Brie when she's getting in the car to go to people loving Nashville you know it just didn't have to be so grand, it didn't have to be so eloquent. And I think that what we talked about earlier, like the church background, of it had to be this super spiritual I feel filled up, I feel like I made someone's night, I feel like I served this person to the capacity that I could. And now, you know, I don't know, that's the end of it. And it just doesn't, it's not like that. And it's not like that after you leave Trebekah because we do have such a tight knit community where everybody knows each other but I just felt the lack of even just showing up for each other so I think practically going through classes going talking to my clients now it's as simple as just having a conversation with someone and not having expectations not like Bree said not trying to convert them or challenge their beliefs or say like oh do you believe speaking in tongues because I don't like and having this theological debate about it while we're sitting in the calf like that just isn't necessary when in reality like we all just want to be loved we all just want to belong like and I do think now (laughs) stepping into seasons that are much difficult and you know in so many ways or just look different than it did when I was going to class five days a week and then had all the free time in the world I just I find myself longing for the practicality. I found myself longing for, like Bree said, the simpler ways and tangible ways that were at our footstep during our time at Trevecca. And that if we, you know, seeked out those relationships with our professors or the people that were already doing the work in Nashville, you know, who would have known what could have happened. But I just feel like I personally got so caught up in my own head. And then it was like, okay, well you're about to graduate in May. So thanks for your time. Thanks for you know, hope you keep reconstructing everything on your own. I
1: just want to add Madison. That was so good. Um, I Lord, I just like so much of that resonates with me and yeah, I think, yeah, apart from everything, like the different organizations that I like plugged or whatever that feels so important because I quit being an RA halfway through like my job And there, I think that that's a thing that maybe a lot of people leave, like that's probably one of the largest grievances um, about leaving Trevecca is that people leave feeling more isolated than they did when they got there, because there is this emphasis in Trevecca's little small town culture that if you're not involved and if you're not on SGA or, you know, in any of these other major groups on campus, if you're not an RA, your value starts to decrease. And so I start, I'm wondering like, so many of my residents who like, I, I could just see struggling. Or even just, just personally speaking, whenever I quit the RA job, like I made a decision for my mental health and then found myself in more of a rut as a result because I like my value as a student diminished. And there's something about being in a community that's supposed to look and feel like Jesus whenever your value is placed on your position, your role, your presence, and then this community kind of strips you of your dignity. It I think that that was such a heavy part of my deconstruction was because I was like this, this really safe environment that should be the easiest place to know Jesus should be the easiest place to love my neighbor as well, to feel like I have like a sense of belonging and, and worth. And just like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me that in this community, I also went through what felt like the hardest season of questions and these things that I have believed for so long, I don't even know how I feel anymore. And Maybe, and and I am so grateful for that Um, now. I'm so grateful that I've walked through that, that I'm processing, that I'm learning. But I do think that there's a lot there to be unpacked. And I almost wonder, um, because I feel like I know so many more people who leave Trevecca angry and bitter and upset and sad and just frustrated that that was their experience than I do people who like are, going to keep showing up to homecoming for the rest of their life. Like I feel like there's one side of the spectrum that you're on or you're on the other and you're, you're not going to exist in the middle. And, and I just think that that speaks so deeply to the culture and how we've made Jesus look. And I think that that was one thing that got me like frustrated with Jesus because I was like these people who have like taken an interest in me they lost their interest when I lost my value and these are like my spiritual friends. These are my spiritual mentors. Like these are the people who have been investing in me and now I'm being stripped of that. And I'm also being stripped of like their Jesus. And what does that mean? And so, yeah, I think that there's a lot there that like probably we could talk about (laughs) a million more times for so many hours, but Ultimately, practically knowing Jesus and Jesus being a practical presence and a a person, just Jesus in, in, in flesh with us, it goes so far beyond where you show up on Monday night. And it goes so far beyond all of the extra things that you sign up for. And it's how you treat your friend or your acquaintance when they find out really hard news about their grandfather. And it's how you treat your friend or acquaintance whenever they make a really difficult decision. But more than that, it's just about how you treat people. Their just inherent worth and dignity is worth our honor. And um, so I think that there's a culture at Trevecca that pushes this Jesus that is practical and serves and loves to like, liberate right I think that Trebek is really socially justice minded in that term maybe they're more progressive than a lot of other places but but then like Jesus is a lot more like tightly cling to and like tightly held on to whenever people are just existing as humans and they're not like a project for you Um, and so yeah there's a lot there but I think that Madison opened up some like really good avenues of conversation and I just had to is my own, like, ah, uh, it just, there's a lot there. Yeah, I
0: know a lot of people who went to Trevecca who just left angry at God, and that's kind of what led me to want to talk about this and see how we can do better, and of course, I don't think it's all Trevecca's responsibility to kind of walk with us through this reconstruction, um, but I do think a lot of these questions are opened up in academic circles, Um, but I also would challenge the church to try to be a better space to have doubts, to ask these hard questions, and truly be the body. That being said, what do you think are some tools in ways that Trevecca could help its students reconstruct and renovate their faith if they're Feeling this way, instead of just leaving them high and dry, what are some things that were beneficial to you and some things that you wish would have happened and helped you in that area?
2: I think to first start off, and again, we're almost a year removed from um, the campus, so I don't know how things are now, but my biggest critique would have been chapel requirements um, and the lack of follow-up as to why you didn't show up. Because during my hardest semesters, I wasn't waking up at 9 a.m. to go um, to chapel, but it was followed up with, like, maybe an email to Matt Spraker, and then you paying $50. It wasn't, hey, what what was your reasoning as to why you didn't want to come and worship? How can we do better? How can we better show up for you? Just that connection. I wish I would have had, and again, like you said, it doesn't fall on, you know, I think that realm of the requirement does fall on Trebecca, but, like, people, whether it's our class chaplain, whether it's our all-campus our, our all cha- chaplain, like, there just was never, I wish I would have had the hard questions asked while I was there, rather than me having to show up for myself, or me having to talk to Bree at, 1am while we should be sitting for a test but we're having these hard conversations you know I think there's joy and there's you know community in that and I think those are very valuable moments but when we're being asked to you know attend so many chapels and we're being asked to show up in these ways because we are at a Christian university I just wish and I did and I think I found that with my professors I think I found that with Professor Bizard and Nunley, where you know I told them what was happening during my hard season, and they sent weekly almost weekly emails checking in on me. but in the spiritual realm or the religion and you know that capacity, it was just kind of like "We'll show up or sorry about it like um there wasn't any follow up and I wish that would have opened up, and that would have allowed myself to give myself permission to say like this isn't a shameful thing that I'm not showing up to travel, this isn't a shameful like." oh, I'm walking to the cap at 930 when everybody else is walking to Dune. Like, I just felt like there was so many feelings around that. And I didn't reckon with them until I was 23 and not wanting to wake up on a Sunday to go to church. Granted, we're in COVID times, but if this was a perfect world, I would have, I don't know, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to ask those questions. And I think there is such a tangible way that Trebecca can better equip us and ask those hard questions. And there's people that are willing, you know, there's the counseling center, there's so many opportunities that, and, or to give credit to going to the counseling center and attending an event as a chapel credit, you know, that would have meant so much more because I would have connected with Sarah Hopkins or whoever was there rather than having to sit in this formal setting when nothing around me was formal, nothing around me was consistent, nothing around me was really, like, showy, or I wasn't excited to go, um, but I would have found that connection. I wish, and I would hope, and that would be my one ask, is that I would just, for the people that were in my position, or even much worse, you know, like, that were going through burnout, they were going through so many things, instead of it just being a requirement, maybe walking alongside them. Not to say I didn't have those people. I had Caitlin Sharp. I had my professors, I had my RD, but it just, but sometimes that isn't enough, or sometimes that isn't, you know, it would have been nice to hear from somebody else. I don't know, and I don't think that's a big expectation when you're putting expectations on me to show up in certain ways.
1: Yeah, and I also just want to, like, acknowledge that we Like, Madison and I were also in strange positions anyway, because similarly to how we went through two different, like, chaplains, we also, like, were working as RAs, and we went through RDs, like, and for various reasons, and reasons that make sense, but there was just an inconsistence in our own, like, up-close, personal mentorship, leadership, like, the people that we felt safe to confide in would leave ultimately. And so there was also this like, this just looming presence of the people who shepherd me and helped me walk through this like part of my life are also on their way out. And so it's no, it's not like a sustainable practice, but um, I also want to acknowledge the fact that like at Trevecca, there are so many different faith backgrounds represented And there is no space for them. (laughs) And I think that that is a huge thing that Trevecca really, really, really could lean into. Yeah, I feel like as I have, like, been going through this, like, deconstruction, and I don't know, I've just been, like, reading a lot and, and listening to different podcasts that really just, like, hold space and honor other faith backgrounds that aren't just, like, Jesus. They're not just Christianity. And And I'm a Christian and I feel so thankful that now I'm holding space for all of that, but I can't imagine being someone who represents a different type of background who is like required by the university to attend chapel with no conversation about their own like personal faith or like, well, maybe could we have a chapel service that like, is a panel of, of people, of students maybe, who represent different cultural backgrounds, faith backgrounds, so that we can learn from each other because we're we're all in this community. And that's the thing too, I think that Trebecca really pushes and emphasizes community, but our community is so diverse that we actually aren't honoring it because it's ultimately all whitewashed and all about Jesus. But that's not indicative or representative of the like demographics on campus. And so I think that, and I think that there has been like, I think that um, different leaders on campus have really, really, really pushed for some inclusivity. And so that's not to like diminish their work. Um, And like, even while I was there, like the group Walden, like we saw some groups start forming and everything. And I think that that's really beautiful. But I think that the university does have a responsibility to honor esteem hold space for people who aren't showing up with like lifelong Nazarene commitment and um and more so than that I think that like within the required classes that we had I really really wish that somebody would have told me that it was okay to disagree it was okay to ask questions it's okay that you're gonna potentially go through a season where maybe like you want to throw out everything you've ever thought you believed and it's okay. We're going to walk through it. We're going to get through it and you're safe in all of that. Um, I don't think that I ever felt that safety in like Trevecca, like required classes. My social work classes are just a whole different thing. Like (laughs) I almost feel like, like the social work program is really not indicative of the Trevecca experience, And so I just think that the safety and the freedom that we were able to receive in that department, I so wish that students who come in, maybe not even as Christians, like we could, because that's the other thing is like, people may just not have a faith background. Um, And then they're being forced to sit through a class to learn and for whatever reason brought them to Trevecca they have to sit through these classes but can we like hold space and honor their experiences and and not like force an ideology onto them and then I don't know I think that like that's just really important that um maybe I didn't see while I was there there's just these expectations that aren't really real to me that's not reality like in my job now I don't know that I work with any Christians. I don't, I don't know that I work with anyone spiritual. Um, and I feel like there are just parts of me that part of my background would have taught me that like, okay, well, I'm in this position then to convert them to like get them to Jesus. And that feels really kind of gross to me. And so I don't know, I think, and I don't know that Trebecca necessarily drives that point, but I just think that there's not enough conversations about how to exist how to commune with people without all of this in their background like you have and and people who may represent backgrounds like students who study subscribe to Islam while we sit in the southeast at a christian university where a lot of ideologies tell us that islamic folks are dangerous you know what i mean like we have to also confront these like biases that have been formed from whatever else And so I just wonder like, do these students feel safe when they're sitting in a chapel of mostly white students? The governor of the state is speaking about his like commitment to his faith and they're also criminal to him. Like, I just think that there's a lot that needs to be unpacked with how Trebecca handles um, just maybe the spiritual deconstructions or, Experiences, existences of of various students from various backgrounds, um, and I don't think that Trevecca has done a really great job of that. Um, I think that mostly what I have seen that's been positive, it's all been students, which is great. And I think that ultimately, like maybe that's who has to get the job done. But it just seems like this university that like craves justice and craves to be the heart of Jesus and or whatever, a Christian university in the heart of Nashville, right? Like, they're not, they're not just, they're just not doing like that great of a job to actually be inclusive and to like lean in and learn. It's more so like, we're going to teach you what to believe and students kind of rebel against the systems and start forming the groups that are getting the work done and that are causing the inclusivity. So um, I think just as an institution, there's a lot to to be done Um, and there's a lot to learn there's a lot of learning that needs to happen instead of maybe trying to and it's funny because it's a university so obviously like the whole job is for them to teach and to steward our minds but in a lot of ways i'm like would y'all just stop talking and listen to your students because i mean and and i loved all of my professors i learned so much from the social work department But I feel like I learned the most from when a student would share their experience and how it related to the topic, the lecture. And I just think that the university could lean into that narrative maybe of like dropping the mic and handing it over to somebody who might actually have lived experiences that can speak to this. Um, I think my answer to that question
0: would be that I really just didn't see people model how to have doubts and how to go through this deconstruction, which is why I'm so grateful for Professor Bizard for modeling this deconstruction renovation of faith in her chapel video. I think that is so important. And another quote I really like that she said was Why is it that if we're all God bearers, my church is growing up had been full of white, straight, middle class Christians from the same denomination who all speak English, which I think was kind of going what you were talking about, Brie. But I was just sitting there listening to that chapel video and I was like, oh, my gosh, how is she describing so well what I have been going through and what so many people that I know have been going through and that she's been here. And
1: I could have been talking to her,
0: but
1: anyway. I think, though, that it's funny that you say, I mean, well, for two reasons. I Yeah, what she said was so important as far as, yeah, like, why does my church, why is it probably, I mean, like, ultimately, I went to the belonging for so long, right? And I'm, like, by no means trying to bash or, like, say anything in opposition to their ministry, but that is just not real life to me in terms of, I mean, consider its location, right? Consider the community it's sitting in the middle of, and its congregation at probably, I would argue, 90, 95 percent. They look like us. They sound like us. More than likely, they've also grown up in like socioeconomic statuses that are, you know, they're probably middle class, they haven't really had to work for much, there's probably tons of privilege, it's just, I think that that's kind of the thing that um, started to bother me, and maybe was the catalyst for a lot of my deconstruction, I mean, I think that there are a lot of factors that kind of started, like that process for me, but I think that going to a church that did not seem representative of the community I was living in felt so confusing and it just I think that in that way and I don't know how to change that I don't know how to make it a place that is safe for the community that it is existing in right but I do know that the body of Christ the church it's not white and the table that we talk about we always use the language everyone's welcome to the table. We want more chairs, we want a longer table. But that table's also not white, but for whatever reason we've all, or at least me, I'm gonna speak for myself, I have been in congregations that look more like me than anything, but they're sitting in neighborhoods that statistically don't make up that congregate. Like, it, it just doesn't really align well, like statistically and for the demographics, like that should be represented. So I think that was a really important point. Um, that she acknowledged. But Ken, I think that what you mentioned, though, at the the end of sharing that quote and kind of your commentary about it, um, hearing someone model it, it so, so deeply takes away the shame. Because for me, that was a huge thing. The amount of shame I sat in while in college while asking my questions and not going to church because I was like, I don't even know where to go. Because this church is like loud and fun and it's a really fun concert, but I like, I need something like that feels more real than this. Right. And, um, and I need somewhere that doesn't faith shame me for not coming in with enough faith, you know, whatever that means. Like, and so um, I think that there's something really beautiful about having someone model the questions and having someone model the like wilderness of, of what this is. And um, I just think that there's like, there's this own like, or there's its own level of liberation in that. And I think that that's probably what helped me was um, having friends who were a bit older and I won't name drop, but there is, there's someone that we all know. <laughs> I just name dropper anyway, Caitlin Sharps. And I remember talking to her about kind of like my deconstruction of faith and, and leaving that church and not really knowing. And she told me that she like, she was like, I knew that you would, and I'm so happy that you did because it's, I don't know. There's just like this freedom in it. And um, not that there's anything wrong with subscribing to that church in particular or a certain way of Christianity. But um, for me personally, there just were like, question. there were too many questions to make it worth my while, it almost felt like. And um, so once like I had those people who invited me into the questions and who invited me into the really, really nuanced gray spaces of what Christianity is, um, it kind of changed everything for me personally, because, I mean, even just like learning about words that weren't even in the Bible like that we've mistranslated that weren't added until the forties. Like, I mean, I'm just like the more that I've learned about how we have Americanized the gospel or, um, and I'm speaking to that because this is where I live and this is what I've seen the most, um, just in my like general background and paradigm anyway, but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me that we have felt so entitled to this text in a way that we're okay with manipulating it and changing it, but we're not okay with people challenging that or asking their questions. Um, so it's been great for me. And I'm so glad that Professor B shared. Um, I wish that would have happened during my time at Rebecca, but we, we don't always get that lucky. So, um, but I do think that that's really special because this doesn't end. People will keep going through this and um, I think that it's super important to keep having these voices that are around. Like, she's on campus, you know? Um, I mean, maybe not now because of COVID, I don't know how things are going, but um, ultimately like like access to her and to other professors, it's at your fingertips while you're there. And so getting to hear about like their experiences, there's just something really special about that anyway, because there's an added level of vulnerability. They're no longer just your professor, they're, they're someone that, um, they're experiencing life with you um, and in a lot of similar ways. But yeah, just having that access is really important.
2: And I think when we think about that paradigm that ultimately Professor Bazard was bringing up, the everybody looks the same as me in my church. And I think she spoke to it in her own personal life of, you know, everything was good. Everything was calm. I didn't have anything to worry about. So why would I not have such a strong faith? it comes back to what she kind of tailed in at the end, and obviously she did that so beautifully about embodying the good news, and that model, whether it was a religion major student, or it was, you know, people in different departments, it was, I felt in my experience, I felt the most empowered to seek that embodiment in my social work classes, and to break through the walls of my own understanding that I came in with and maybe that does have something to do with this whole reconstruction but I just felt and maybe this was just my own um, pessimistic idea but I just felt like some people weren't being challenged and I felt like some people weren't stepping out of that and then they were going and getting their minister's license and you know leading a body after graduation and I don't know. Maybe that's critical of me. Maybe that's like me just still reckoning with my experience too. But it just was like, like Brie touched on, like it was this Americanized, like it's always been this way. Let's continue to let it be this way. And it was like, but, but, but like, I'm not feeling that I'm, I'm seeing different people. I'm having different conversations. Like why can't, Why can't you join in? Or how can we do this? And to add to mine and Breeze experience, we were going through like our freshman year was the election in 2016. And it just exposed so much. I don't know, just and at that point I still didn't know what was happening. I still didn't know what foundation and what beliefs and what social work was, but it was evident how much people weren't willing to change their experience. It was evident how much people weren't willing to have that wiggle room and that wiggle room is scary i'm not saying i made progress in my i feel like i made progress i'm gonna give myself credit but it that process never ends and it was like you're not gonna have this completion date you're not gonna be able to just go and be and be content and maybe that's people's jam i feel like that's white supremacy in a whole but just for people that are willing to love ultimately the people Jesus would be sitting with I just uh it just rubs me the wrong way that you know we aren't no we don't need to seek argument no we don't need to seek you know that's not productive but seeking to understand seeking to be slow to anger seeking all these things that we read about and we hear about it just it doesn't show up, and that model isn't there. Or if it is, it's in very small glimpses, and then it, the moment's passing. You know, we have this inspiration, like, "Oh, I'm gonna go change the whole world," or "I'm gonna go," um, I don't know, for an RA, like, "I'm gonna go talk to all my girls on my floor about this really important thing," or "I'm gonna throw this event that is very impactful and would make a difference." But in the reality of things, we are people, and we're messy, but that doesn't excuse us or justify our lack of intention behind it all I don't know maybe I f- strayed too far away from that but I just feel like there's a bunch of comfortability that are sitting around and we're just kind of not being challenged
0: yeah I, I mean I think that's definitely part of the root of it for sure I feel like we touched on this a little bit but I just wanted to like ask it What was your experience in deconstruction at school and now in the real world? So if you feel like there's anything you haven't talked about about it, I want this to be the opportunity. Yeah,
1: well, I think that what Madison just touched on was kind of the, this definitely was the catalyst for me. The 2016 election and the church's response during the last four years, that has been everything. To like, I guess, blame for this like deconstruction. Obviously, for my, my own personal growth, I'm thankful that it happened. But yeah, I think that the 2016 election and watching, you know, students at Trevecca who are dreamers like respond tearfully and fearfully and just with all of this anxiety and churches that I have like sat under, ministries that I have learned under, um, and that I have given money to and spent time like craving their influence and their just, just their knowledge. They were so, so heavily behind the last four years. And they were overtly clear that anything else was demonic. And just, I mean, to be quite honest with you, like, I think, and I I would argue, and I think a lot of people maybe now would, but I think everything's political. I don't think that we can ever strip politics away from things as long as people and systems are involved, right? So, but the last four years definitely can be, that is my catalyst. That is the root of this deconstruction. Where I'm at now with it though, I think that because I finally felt the shame factor wear off, because ultimately I love Jesus and I want to know and be in relationship with Jesus. And I think that that's Such a misconception about people who go through deconstruction. I think that people think that people who go through deconstruction were never strong enough in their faith. They were never committed enough in their faith. I would argue the complete opposite, that actually I'm so committed that I'm willing to sit in a really dark and lonely, isolated space so that I can get away from things and get to know Jesus. So for me now, I mean... Like I said at the beginning, I'm constantly reading books and the Liturgist podcast. <laughs> here's the plug for it. It literally has completely shifted my mindset surrounding not only Christianity, but just like the safety of deconstruction because I didn't think it was safe. Prior to that, I felt like if I asked a question, that was the product of my own like unwillingness to have enough faith or just like that whole like faith healing idea about things. Like I personally have struggled with mental health issues. And I, I mean, and maybe that's the paradigm I'm from. Maybe it's the like geographical region that I'm from, but instead of there being acceptance and safety and space to explore, ask questions, struggle, it was pray more, lean into God more, stop listening to that rap music that you listen to. You need to be listening to Bethel only. And now I have, um, so I don't know. I think that there's just a lot that played into it, but I think that the like pinnacle of it all was really the 2016 election and the church's response. But like I said, now I'm in a place where I like, you can't convince me otherwise, as far as whether or not I love Jesus. I know that I do. I know that I'm a Christian. It looks so much different for me now. And it doesn't look like the hyper spiritual version of me that once existed, but it looks more like knowing Jesus as simple and not so. I actually told one of my friends this the other night. And I think that this pretty much has, like, it sums up my experience now. But ultimately I said to her, I was like, it feels like Jesus feels so much more real to me now. Like he's not in the air. Like I always felt like... Jesus had to be lofty and super spiritual and if there wasn't glitter and gold falling from the ceiling then it wasn't Jesus but that's just not who Jesus is. I mean it's so interesting that that is kind of what we've painted him as as this like king enthroned in gold and purple and but Jesus is in like dirty robes and in sneakers and he's wearing Cortezes with me and walking with me and living and yeah so i think that it's it's kind of funny that it took a deconstruction for Jesus to actually be humanized for me but i think that ultimately that's kind of what the deconstruction has been instead of this like it, like i i'm not this isn't me like diminishing the lordship but I think that I, I mean, there's a song by United Pursuit, but it it says like, I'm looking for a savior. I can see and know and touch one who dwells within the midst of us. And ultimately, I think that that's kind of what I've always wanted. But being in a community of people who are like, if we're not jumping high enough and singing loud enough, he's not going to want to be close to you. But now I'm like, I feel him more closely on the days that I'm like, I'm not singing a worship song. I'm not praying. I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I have questions. And it's funny that now that's when I feel the most safe to commune with Jesus. And so I think that that's kind of what it looks like now. And I would like credit the liturgist Rachel Held Evans, like so many amazing people who have done this and they've walked through this before us before me, and now like maybe the tools that they didn't have. I get to benefit from their experiences, which feels really, really special and just privileged, but um, I do think that like reading, like searching for Sunday helps. It like resonated with me in a way that other things just haven't, and yeah, I think all of these things have helped me humanize Jesus and learn how to like make my everyday look and feel I don't know. I just, like, want to hang out with Jesus, but I don't want it to look so much like having to do a short-term mission trip and colonize a community to feel the presence, like, because that's not what it is. So, yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Madison, please jump in.
2: (laughs) Oh, Bree, that was such a good response. Comparing college to now, I think while sitting in my dorm room and asking all the questions, I was picking up my high school Bible and hoping to feel something special, <laughs> or going to a worship service and wanting to feel the same, like, divine experience that I felt at 15, and I feel like those are still important to me. I feel like I never really felt angry with those or pushed those away. They just weren't, I guess in that moment, I was still expecting the same exact thing, because that. That's the Jesus I knew. That's the God I'd fallen in love with. Like that is, you know, that was my foundation. And I was craving that foundation. And I think no one was really telling me otherwise, you know, just get back to your roots. Just remember who, you know, remember what he's done for you. Remember the seasons you've walked through and it's like, ah, but I don't, <laughs> I don't want to go back there. How do I move forward? So I feel like me meeting my questions was a lot of like, okay, if I could just remember who wrote the New Testament or if I could, you know, memorize verses like they always told us to in youth group. I just was longing for something tangible. And so I think in this transition through these chaotic times that really aren't slowing down for the, in, any of us, whether you're still in college or not, to, to really coin what Bree said about just hanging out and really giving myself permission to be frustrated and to grieve and to have emotions that don't, that at one point didn't feel acceptable in the church that at one point didn't feel like I could, you know, take all of it with me, but really being and allowing Jesus to see my full self because um, he already knows it. And I knew that in high school, I knew that in college, but I, Again, like Reece said, I felt that shame. I felt this like, okay, Madison, but do a little bit better. Like, come on, you got to pick up the slack. Um, And I feel like now working a full-time job, having so many life experiences happening, having family, having just so many slices of my identity pie and having to reckon with all of them isn't in a perfect way. It's not to be expected in a perfect way. Jesus doesn't expect them to be in this very um, you know perfectly plattered um, Sunday brunch. It is more like the Tuesday night when I can't fall asleep because my mind's racing. It's the grief that I do feel from experiences that don't feel fair. I don't know it just it, it it's allowed me to or I've allowed myself now to maybe even think of a Sunday walk, Um, instead of sitting down and listening to someone preach at me, um, a Sunday walk in the sunshine being how I experienced God that day, and I think I learned that from Sarah Hopkins, I think I learned that from Amanda Bradley, and other people who encourage those kind of alternative ways to experience God, because we were actively doing that in our classes, but just being creative with how and not putting a box on everything. And I know that's cliche to say, but really, really fully giving myself permission to, you know, if it, it's okay if you haven't picked up your Bible in a month because Jesus is still here to experience what you have for him today or what's going on or can sit with you in this without you having it marked out in a pretty outline of the ways that he's going to follow through with his promises. You know, like it just, it doesn't have to be complicated. And I think that's what this reconstruction and just kind of faith journey. I don't feel like it's gonna, I don't feel like I have an end date either. I feel like in college, I was like, man, like, you know, my youth pastor said when I become an adult, it's just going to be harder. So what am I going to do when I am in the workforce and, you know, building so many things around me, but just not putting a timeline on any of it and being present and being willing to challenge things that or reckoning with things that do come up for me when I'm like oh I didn't like that or oh why did I ever feel that way you know I don't know just the main words are permission and creative and alternative and not in this like oh man she just really doesn't love Jesus because she's not showing up in this traditional way it's in this way that feels so much more intimate and loving and the kindness of the Lord showing up because I'm allowing him to rather than pushing back this narrative or rather than accepting this narrative of it is only linear. It is only in the camp um, experiences or the worship nights or the moments in the dorm room where I'm just begging God to talk to me.
1: I just want to say, you can totally edit this for time if you need to, but I just want to affirm what Madison said. Whenever you mentioned that during there, like, maybe, maybe this isn't necessarily how you said it, but what I kind of understood from it at least was that during this deconstruction, there's almost this like knee jerk response to revert back to like, this is what I've seen. This is what I know that I know that I know this is what I've experienced. And I think that I heard from a lot of people like, but look at what Jesus has done, Brie. Like, look at what he has done for you, for like people, you know, like, so you know that you're not like, like you, like, just try to remember this, go back to this. And I think that there's a level of that, that yeah, I want to always acknowledge and honor because yes, I totally believe that there are like moments like from so long ago that I'm like, yes, like, look at what God has done. But like my whole struggle and wrestle with the deconstruction was that I wasn't trying to revert. I was trying to grow. And part of that growth was choosing to not revert and to not like only look at these good things because ultimately that's just not like, and, and I'm sure that people want to argue theology all day. I know that they do because I went to Rebecca, but, um, <laughs> just kidding. That was a little bit shot out, but, um, I just, you know, I think that I've kind of changed my perspective about God. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless people, but I think that's like really privileged to look at the blessings of God whenever, I don't know, because I think we can get into a whole a whole conversation about, um, is this like the favor of God or are you just like privileged and you have money? But um, ultimately, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think that there is a lot in my background that I'm like, I know that that was Jesus, and I know that other things may not have been, but I spiritualized them because that was what I knew to do, and in the deconstruction, I didn't want to do that anymore. I kind of wanted to call a spade a spade, you know, Um, and I think, too, like, I started reading Richard Rohr and some of his work, and just, like, the idea of the universal Christ and the divinity of the universal Christ and the divinity of Christ in us all. It's kind of really reshaped my mindset about just a lot of things. But um, yeah, I think that what Madison touched on felt really, really important because I think that a lot of people who are experiencing deconstruction maybe go to leaders who don't affirm or hold space for that. And then those leaders are like, hey, but remember like that time at camp when this happened? And it's like, well, was that Jesus or was that like a rush of endorphins during a really exciting worship night? Um, And we can argue the science behind it. Like there's a lot there, but I just think that we have to start honoring the lived experiences of people and we have to honor growth and change and perspectives. Um, And that's just kind of like been such a theme for me, like in the aftermath of the deconstruction.
0: Wow. I have so loved getting to talk with y'all about this topic and get to see your little faces on the laptop screen. I think we're going to transition into the rapid fire questions. So, okay. What is your favorite building on campus and why?
2: Oh man. Uh, I would honestly say Tennessee hall. I'm not, I'm not, that's not the RA in me. That's not the moments that I cultivated there and the tears I shed and the hardships we went through. And the space, honestly, that allowed me to do everything that I did throughout college. And and it was a safe space to go to at the end of the night. Um, That would have to be my favorite.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard for me because I got to be honest, I can't really remember the names of so many of the buildings um, during this season um, for for just different reasons, <laughs> but um, I would echo that. I really, really, really attribute all of the good things and like, well, I mean, you know, some some hard things that happened in that hall as well, but like so many beautiful conversations, so many friendships. Um really, really, really awful and hard moments that happened in that hall during my time as an RA that completely re-imagined like imagined my thinking and my experience. And so, um, yeah, for all of the good and the bad, I have so much honor and respect for my time in that building with my people.
2: And for the commuters that don't live in dorms, we hit up the community or the commuter lounge. Or yeah, that was pretty so. cool. Wow. So to take it out of the dorm realm, we we definitely had a ton of lunches and the bottom of Mackie. That's the one.
0: <laughs> okay, if this week was a candle scent, what scent would it be?
2: Oh man, that's good, Ken. Um, for me, it would probably be some type of like firewood, like timber. Um. Just because it's been a little gloomy, um, but I feel very much like the fire is still burning. I just don't always see it. So um, maybe that's a little deep. I don't know. I'm a big so deep sorry. <laughs> sorry, but I just, yeah, it's just been a hard time. But I do feel like the ashes and everything else that are still kind of lingering. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really mean to go that deep. That was the Holy Spirit. Sorry. Mm.
1: um I'm really kind of annoyed with you because that's kind of what I was gonna say not for all the we're the
2: same person I just
1: um (laughs) I was just recently in New Mexico and just kept smelling fires and got to sit around a fireplace and that felt really special and I have a candle that kind of smells like woodsy and like sitting around a campfire and literally it has been burning and so that has yeah whatever yeah
0: (laughs) okay um favorite song to sing in the shower
2: i would have to say lizzo um and her song juice but but only the version with harry styles on it because that one is just extra spicy um and it just yeah it gives me a bunch of energy
1: I have two songs. One of them is more like fun and spicy and then the other is just a song that I heard (laughs) at a a United Pursuit worship night and I couldn't find it for so long and it's because it's not their song and then when I finally found it I freaked out and so i listen to it every day. Um, But the spicy one is Liberated by DJ Loaf and um, who else is on it? Leon Bridges. So love that one, that one's really fun, but, um, as far as the other one, it's No Greater Joy by Common Hymnal, so. Cool, okay, so, you know, I
0: said this at the beginning, but a big goal of the podcast is having, like, a tangible response in activism, and so, um, a question we always ask is, what was the moment you knew you had to do something? So that moment where you went from inaction to action about whatever you're passionate about or anything you want to go with that question.
1: I really hope I'm answering this question correctly. Um, I guess for me, honestly, like something tangible that like actually, I don't know, I actually did something about um, when I was in college and Madison did a similar thing. But when I was in college, I started to like learn so much about human trafficking at like the local state, like national, international level, um, and like the different forms it can take and everything. And um, I just kind of sought out avenues of how to, I don't know, do something about it. And I ended up like getting the opportunity to um, go to one of the red light districts in the Philippines. And... We helped, like, get women. We, like, actually got women out of the sex trade, um, which was kind of insane. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that that's probably, like, the most amazing thing that, like, I've had the like, the privilege and honor to be a part of, just in terms of, like, what activism has looked like. I mean, there have been other things, but that feels super special to me
2: man there's so many instances not that I'm constantly doing active work not to hype myself up but I feel like early on in college I think it was the September of our sophomore year and um, there was the DACA march and I had never ever ever protested I had never I didn't know what it looked like I was scared out of my mind um But just to be hand in hand with people beside me that I loved and cared about and doing something that I felt was so important and that being a tangible way to show up in it. Um, Before I had taken, you know, I think at that point I had taken like intro to social work, but um, that just gave me like the boost of like, geez, like I can have a hand in this. I can um, be a part of this and not be the center, not to center my whiteness, not to center anything else. But to, like, be in the background, you have a playing role, um, I think that would probably be my, you know, I already have those interests, but that really solidified my activism.
0: Okay, and then the last question is, um, for someone listening to this podcast, what would be the response that you would hope someone had after listening to this?
2: I would hope that someone listening, to this if they do listen to it all the way through would understand the impact or just present alone has um that they don't have to show up with the answers they don't have to show up with um all the right things and right certain circ- life circumstances and the right background um that they can just be and that be enough um and yeah and if they go on this journey and they hit hard spots or they hit unknown territory that they would have and know that they're supported um whether that's people that are tangibly like walking with them through that or um that there's just people out there that care about them and that the world needs them that's so cute
1: um yeah i'll speak directly to the listeners mom if you're out there just kidding um but I would really, really, really hope that this would kind of be a space of affirmation for you and validation of your experience so that you know that maybe you're not going through a season of deconstruction. Maybe you're just entering a season of questions or maybe you are deconstructing and you feel alone, frustrated, like your hands are tied or like you don't know where to start. I just really hope that you feel seen and known by Jesus and regardless of you know what stigmas might be surrounding your process I just hope that you know that like your humanity and your dignity and worth like they're all held so tightly and I believe in you and I would love to like talk with you. This is an invitation from me just to like know that you have somebody. Um, You have a resource. I'm not an expert, but I would happily send you all of the books that I've read. So um, just that you feel validated and seen during this and also to know that what you're doing is good work and um, you don't have to be going 90 to nothing to be making a difference. Just show up. And also, I love you, I think.
0: so cute. I'll put Bree's phone number in the show notes. everybody can text her with the questions. and you can <laughs> you can send her your address and she'll send you her books. Um, just kidding that's I'm not going to give her phone number. fellas. you can't have her number.
1: I'm um, y'all can. <laughs>
0: Send us an application and we might give you her phone number.
2: Okay. We'll put her email in the show notes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah really, you could put my email. The Rebecca one, though, not your real one. Yeah, okay. I have no access to it, so it would be the least helpful.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. Oh, wow. What a good conversation. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy, busy adult schedules. Um, And thank you for still caring about Trevecca and caring about the people of God and caring for people so well.